Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning. We are people who need to know more about you and uh, the way that you call us to live. Uh, We pray that you would teach us. Um, Lord, I ask for uh, attention, that we we, we would pay attention to your word. We would hear, Lord, about these victories that you gave David, and we would uh, see uh, your faithfulness, your uh, fulfillment of your promises, and Lord, the King, our King, not just David, but Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, Andrew, I'm going to ask you to pull up my map now. I want to start this by just orienting you guys a little bit to what's going on because there's a lot of nations that I just read. There's a lot going on in terms of David's kingdom. So I've got this map, and hopefully you can see it at least somewhat, uh, see the colors a bit. Uh, This section that we just read, it's not probably chronological, it's, um, it's more of a summary, right? Second, the book of 2 Samuel is a history book, and so generally it, it tends to follow a chronological order. But uh, even in history books, sometimes there are summaries of a large period of time, and that's kind of what we have here is a summary of, of sort of a large period of time throughout David's reign. And uh, in fact, this summary, as we look at it, we see it's actually organized a little bit more geographically than chronologically. So I want to show that to you here. If you, if you look at the text, you can see the first people that David defeats here are the Philistines, and they're to the west of Israel, right? You can see Philistia. It's, it's a vertical text, so it might be tricky, but it's right there by the Mediterranean Sea, Philistia. That's where the Philistines sort of hang out. Uh, and if you've been, you know, listening through our series on David's life, you've heard plenty about the, Phil- the Philistines already. They've been sort of a thorn in the side of Israel for quite some time. Uh, back into even the time of the judges before Saul, before David. Uh, and then, of course, we, we, we read about how the Philistines defeated Saul and killed him and his son Jonathan and even took over large portions of Israel. So uh, it makes sense that they would be one of the first mentioned here in this um, summary. Uh, and we're told that David subdues them. In fact, they aren't mentioned again after David's reign. They aren't really mentioned again as attacking Israel in any serious way until some 300 years or so after David during the reign of King Hezekiah. So it's clear David subdues them pretty handily throughout his reign. Uh, And so next, you know, we've gone west. Now we go east in our text to Moab. Uh, And uh, you see Moab right there by the the Dead Sea, right on the right. Uh, Moab, David... (laughs) Uh, defeats them even perhaps more completely than any of the others, we, we, we see that he executes two-thirds of the nation. And we don't really know why he seems to be harsher with them than, than the other nations exactly. There's, there's no clear idea of what happened. You may remember that David's great-grandmother, Ruth, right? There's a Bible book about Ruth. She was a Moabite. Uh, and when David was being chased, he was in exile and he was being chased around by Saul before he became king. He actually sent his mother and his father to Moab for safekeeping. So it's not clear what happened. Clearly their relationship changed. There's, there's some ancient theories that perhaps Moab betrayed and, and murdered his parents. And that would certainly explain uh, his harshness in this text. But we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened. But That's what happens with Moab. They are clearly very much defeated. 
Then we go north of Israel in our text as we follow along. We, we come to this longer section on the kingdom of Zobah, which you can see, again, it's a vertical text above Syria there. You can see Zobah. And um, this, this kingdom, again, we can see this is not chronological. It's a summary because actually if you were to flip over to chapter 10, uh, we get some of the background behind this, all these battles with Zobah. They make an alliance with Syria, and even actually we learn Ammon, right below Syria, Ammon. They all kind of join together, and there's a lot of battles. But here we get sort of summarized David's defeat of, of Zobah and Syria. Um, and then uh, there's this section as we continue, verses 9 to 12, where we read about the king of Hamath. And you can see that at the very top, Hamath, a gray section there. Um, it's gray because uh, David doesn't actually totally uh, take over that area during his reign, but his son Solomon will take over that area. Um, yet, uh, you, can, you, you know, as you read in 9 to 12, this guy, Toy, king of Hamath, clearly wants to be friends with David. He's a little bit nervous seeing everyone else taken over below him, so he... Uh, is trying to make peace with David. Uh, and then uh, in verses 13 to 14, we go south, right? So we've gone west, we've gone east, we've gone north, now we're going south. Okay, so you see it's, there's some geographical organization. We're, he's, we're moving around the land of Israel here. And so we go south to the land of Edom, um, and uh, David also defeats the Edomites. Uh, and then the text sort of finishes up by talking about these different officials that David appoints, uh, which just kind of uh, recognizes the, the, the establishment of his kingdom at this point, right? He's taken over all these countries around him. He's putting his officials in, in power. They're, they're in place. So this chapter summarizes what would have taken probably years of, of military campaigns to accomplish. But what does this all do for us, right? Is this just sort of interesting biblical history, uh, you guys now know a little bit more about the map of, of Palestine. You know some of the countries that existed back then. Is that all it is? Well, I think there's more going on. I think this passage is filled with comfort for the believer. And I'd like to point out to you three different figures that we can see in this text. And I believe the Lord wants us to see these figures. So first, the first figure you need to see is the promise keeper. Okay, the promise keeper. That's my first point. You ever watch a show or a movie and you hear someone make a promise to someone else and you think to yourself, don't do that, you're not going to be able to keep that promise. Uh, so, you know, the main character will say to, to someone else something like, I'll never, ever leave you again. Or, uh, you know, this is my favorite, I'll never let anyone hurt you ever again. Right? And you think, you can't keep that promise. You know, you're, gonna, you're probably going to end up be the one that hurts them again yourself. Uh, now, some promises are doable by even by frail humans, but, but many others, you hear them and you think to yourself, you would have to be able to control everything to keep that promise. You'd have to be God himself. And this is exactly why the true promise keeper is God. He is the only one that can, in fact, control all things. This Bible passage has been built to teach us 
that God is the promise keeper. But we need to see what comes before it in order to see this, okay? We need some context, okay? Notice even in our text, the very beginning, verse 1, after this, it says, right? After what? We're talking about the events of chapter 7. You see, chapter 8 and chapter 7 are linked together. Uh, they're, they're, they're like, uh, uh, you know, a hot dog and a hot dog bun. They're, they're meant to go together. You got to read them together and understand them together. So what happened in chapter 7? You guys remember what we, we, we covered that in the last two Sundays. Uh, God makes David a bunch of promises. And then... The writer of 2 Samuel, inspired by God, says, you know what? I want people to see God as the promise keeper. So instead of just continuing along chronologically with David's life, the next event uh, after this conversation with God in chapter 7, he says, I'm going to stop and summarize a large portion of David's life to show people the fulfillment of God's promise. Okay, that's what chapter 8 does. It's fulfillment. Uh, hot dog, hot dog bun. You got chapter 7, God's promises. Chapter 8, their fulfillment. They go together. They don't always go together with humans, but God is the promise keeper. Promise and fulfillment always go together with him. Now, it is rare to get the fulfillment right next to the promises, and so that's what makes this really a special text. Uh, let me point out some of God's fulfilled promises to you here. In chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, God promises David, your people will no longer be afflicted by enemies, by evil uh, people around them. And uh, as well as the fact that uh, he will crush, he will bring peace and rest uh, to the land. He will give David and, and the people of Israel rest from their enemies. Those are two of the promises that God makes in chapter 7. And, and that really is exactly what chapter 8 then goes on to describe, right? All, all these nations that we, we read about and we saw on the map, Philistia, uh, Moab, uh, Ammon, Edom, Syria, they have been nipping at Israel and uh, fighting and, and, and oppressing the people of Israel for decades. Uh, but here in, in, in chapter Eight, David decisively crushes them. He brings peace to the land. He brings rest to God's people. In fact, when, when his son Solomon takes over, the next king, there's really no battles that happen during Solomon's reign because David has already defeated them all. He's already crushed all their enemies. He brings peace to the land and rest to God's people. It's really only later in Solomon's life, there is a point where the text says that God began to raise up enemies for Solomon because he fell into sin. But, you know, ironically, that's also a fulfillment of God's promises in chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 14, God says, when David's son sins, God is predicting this, when David's son Solomon sins, he will discipline him. So, there are other promises here that we can see uh, fulfilled as well. In, in chapter 7, verse 9, um, God promises David that he would make him a great name. And sure enough, chapter 8, we just read this, chapter 8, verse 13, 
Maybe you remember, we're told, David made a name for himself when he came back from defeating the Edomites. And there are many other promises given God's people throughout Scripture that are fulfilled in this text as well. Um, Just to give you one example, in Genesis 15, verse 8, God promises Abraham. Abraham is the father of all of the nation of Israel. God promises him that he would give his descendants all the land from the, you know what, Andrew, can you pull up the map again? God promises uh, Abraham that he would give him all the land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And you can see that on the map. Thanks, Andrew. Right down at the bottom, you might not be able to read this, uh, but down at the bottom, Brook of Egypt, there's that river, and that's exactly where the green stops right there. Uh, And then at the very top, you'll see the Euphrates River all the way up at the top. Now, uh, remember, I did say David doesn't actually conquer that gray area. Solomon does. Um, However, uh, we, can, we can already see sort of as a preview in this text, right, the, the writer includes this section about the king of Hamath and his submission to David. He sends him tribute. He sends him his son. You could even interpret that text if you wanted as him seeking a client relationship with the land of Israel, uh, submitting himself to them and seeking peace. Um, so we see that in progress, at least right here. God's fulfillment of this promise that he gave Abraham many, many, many years ago uh, that he would give his offspring this exact section of land. Now, these fulfilled promises, these are not simply the result of David's brilliant leadership. The text makes it clear who gives David victory. The Lord does. So, you know, whenever you're studying the Bible, right, you look for repeated phrases and sentences and you circle them. There is one important one here. If you look at the end of verse 6, says, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And then again, the end of verse 14, you'll see the same sentence, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. That's one that you circle in red pen when you're studying this text. The writer's making a theological point with this phrase. He's saying, God doesn't just make promises. He also fulfills them. God doesn't just tell David, you will be victorious. He gives him the victory. God is the promise keeper. That's the point here. Now, how how does that help us? Well, fulfilled, fulfilled promises, like the ones that we've seen here, they're like down payments. They prove that God is committed to keeping all his promises. God doesn't default on what he says. You can, you, if you can see even one of his fulfilled promises, you can be certain about all of them. Now, I know when you're mucking around in the dirt on a cloudy day, it can be easy to despair about God's promises. And that's why we're given Bible passages like this one, that, that you know, they take us up the 30,000 feet And they show us what kind of God it is exactly that we've gotten ourselves mixed up with. From high up above, the patterns of a promise-keeping God are clear. They're obvious. You can see them clearly. It's not so obvious when you're down in the mist, in the dirt. But when you see them through passages like this, you can see them from above, the patterns are clear. 
And we find that a promise from God can be a key to unlock the door of despair. A promise from God can be a key to unlock the door of despair. In um, John Bunyan's allegory of the Christian life called Pilgrim's Progress, there's this point where the main character, his name is Christian, and his friend Hopeful, they're caught by giant despair. And they're locked away in Doubting Castle. And giant despair comes and he beats them till they can hardly even move, do anything for themselves. That's what despair does when they're locked in the dungeon of doubt. Until Christian remembers that he's been a fool because in his pocket he's got a key called promise that will open the doors of doubt and castle. Now some may say, well, that seems a bit simplistic. You know, the promises of God are not cash in my hand, food in my belly, joy in my heart. And I would say to you, if that's what you think you need, that is simplistic. This is not a redeemed world, friends. You need much more than cash in your hand, food in your belly, enjoying your heart. You need what God gives Israel here through David. You need a kingdom of peace and justice. Better yet, a kingdom of peace and justice where the people that fill it are made holy. That's what you need. Well, listen, David's kingdom is the down payment of that kingdom, of that future kingdom. It's promises numbers 1 through 50, you know, stamped, paid, and delivered. And God will not default on the rest. It is not in his nature to do so. He cannot do that. David's kingdom, it's the way station at the bottom of Mount Zion. You take up the key of God's promise. You, you grab hold of your brother, your sister, and you, you head up that mountain. But maybe right now that's an exhausting image for you. there's another figure you need to see in this text. You need to see the king. Uh, so that's my second point, the king. Wikipedia tells me that there are only seven absolute monarchs left in the world today. And of those, only two are actually referred to as king, uh, because one of them is the pope, who is the absolute monarch of the Vatican City. Two of them are sultans, one's an emir. Uh, the, the, other, the, the other two kings out there these days, absolute monarchs, are the king of Eswatini, which is a small little nation right in the middle of South Africa, and the king of Saudi Arabia. There are, of course, other types of monarchies out there. You probably think of the queen of the United Kingdom. Uh, but these seven are the only absolute monarchies left. So Wikipedia tells us. In my judgment, however, there is another king who should be at the top of this list. He's rather more significant. Yes, I'm talking about King Jesus. Now, this text is telling us about David, right? Um, and yet, you know, we're, we're New Testament people. So we've got to connect the dots between David's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom. And, and 
David the king and Jesus the king. You see, David and his kingdom, they're like the junior varsity version of Jesus and his kingdom. And if indeed there is a line between them, what we see in David will reveal Jesus, will shine light on our king. And so let me just show you some places where that line between them connects, okay? So back in chapter 7, God promised David, and this is the promise that David doesn't see fulfilled here. God promised David that his kingdom and his throne would last forever. If God is a promise keeper, where is that kingdom now? Well, when Jesus is born... The angel tells his mother Mary in Luke 1.32, the Lord God will give to him this baby you're going to have, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You see the line there between David and Jesus? This is not a different kingdom that we're seeing here. It, it looks different. It's not over in Israel anymore. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Instead, he said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So how is the image of our king Jesus revealed in David? Well, what does David do in this text? As you look through it at the various things that he does, well, first he defeats the enemies of God's people, right? He gives his people rest. From their enemies. Jesus also defeats our enemies. He casts that lying serpent Satan into the pit and will finally and fully judge the evil one and all his evil spirits at the second coming, as well as all those who reject his rule. The book of Revelation describes in vivid imagery Christ's victory. It's sort of like the New Testament version of chapter 18, what we just read here, David being victorious over the nation surrounding him. The book of Revelation describes that same experience in, in Christ's kingdom, with Christ as the victor. And even now, Jesus tells you, in this world you have suffering, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Those are the words of the king. David, uh, he secondly also extends his kingdom over the nations, right? Over and over in this text we see uh, so and so became the servants of David and they brought him tribute, right? It uh, happens with all of these different nations. Um, Jesus does the same. He extends his kingdom through conquest over the nations. And aren't we glad about that? Because we are the nations, and Jesus has conquered our hearts. And if we're honest, we certainly could not conquer our own hearts. For without the grace and forgiveness of Christ, we would still be chained to the shifting winds of our lusts and our longings. But thanks be to God that we are no longer in blind, and indeed we have the ability though not always the inclination, to say no to sin. We see in verse 11 that 
David also dedicated the treasure of the nations, right? He gets all these, the golden shields, the gold and silver from all the different nations, from the king of Zobah who's trying to become friends with him. All of this he dedicates to the Lord. And in fact, we learn that this will be used by his son Solomon to build the temple. Jesus also, through his church, dedicates the energy, the time, the gifts of his servants from all the nations to God and for the building of God's spiritual temple, not a physical temple anymore, not a physical kingdom anymore, a spiritual kingdom and a, and a spiritual temple. And finally, then we see in verse 15 that David administers justice and equity to all people, something that Jesus also promises to his people. This is a, a general statement about David. Of course, we know that David will fail on occasion to execute justice, but Jesus will not fail. None of the injustice that occurs in the world, and we can see plenty of it, will go unnoticed by our great king. Which also means, by the way, he will not miss and did not miss any of your sins in his atoning sacrifice for you. As surely as the smallest sin will be remembered on the day of judgment, so also were your smallest sins remembered on the cross in Christ's atonement. These are things that help you see the comfort it is to have a king like David, but much better. You need to grasp this so you can rest in it. Having a king means you're cared for. Having a king means you are victorious. And you know what? This text does not demand very much of you. You know, if you think about it, it's pretty much all about David. And, and you're not in the position of David. You're not a king. Jesus is the king. The kingdom does not depend upon you to be established, and neither does the king need your approval to be the king. No matter how you feel inside this morning, Jesus is king. Whether, you know, you're struggling or you're not, no matter the, the frame of mind you're in, it doesn't matter. You may be locked in doubting castle with giant despair beating around your head. Or maybe you breathed in the smells of spring this morning and you glimpsed the celestial city. Either way, Jesus is king. His rule is something in your life that is refreshingly out of your hands completely. Accept it. Thank the Lord for it. Let him lead, lean on him, and let him be in charge of sorting out the confusing things that you don't understand. Now, there is one more figure we should look at here in this text. We'll do it very briefly. It's the figure of the steward. So this is my third point, the steward. I know I just said this text is mostly about David, but there are a few other figures in it. Uh, right there at the end of verse 16, right? You Maybe you, you recognize it's sort of a summary. At the very end, we get David's officials. Joab over the army, Jehoshaphat, the recorder. I guess that means he's sort of the guy who writes things down, you know, keeps track of history. 
Uh, we got Zadok and Ahimelech, his priests, Sariah, his secretary, Benaiah, he's in charge of Carathites and the Pelathites, that's like David's special bodyguards, and David's sons were priests. Well, probably this is meant in sort of a last way, uh, maybe they were like uh, chaplains for the royal family or something like that. All these guys just remind us that David has people working for him. So while I, you know, I did say this text doesn't demand a lot from you, it does call you to be a steward of the king. You're not the king. You don't have to come up with the message. You don't have to worry that, you know, your success or your failure or anything in between, that's, that's not going to determine the outcome of the kingdom. It's not going to change your citizenship. But you are a servant of the king. And his kingdom is one worth being a part of and loving. There is even a sense in which David is an example for us. Because, well, you know, at least in this text, he primarily points to Christ. He is also a steward of God's kingdom. And so like David, there's a sense in which, you know, we may be called to defeat evil. We may be called uh, to call the nations to serve Christ, to uh, bring the treasure of the nations to God, uh, to pursue justice in our own little areas of stewardship. In uh, his commentary on this text, Dale Ralph Davis tells a story about his wife, who's from Kansas, but she lives with him in Mississippi. And she has a little garden in the back of their house where she grows only plants that are native to her home in Kansas. As Christians, we are seeking to nurture a little bit of Kansas in Mississippi. Some of our plots are quite small. That's okay. I think I'd prefer that myself. But as God's stewards, we seek to make a little bit of the heavenly kingdom appear in this world. It's not in a legalistic sort of duty way. It's what we love. It's what we miss. It's what we long for. It's our true home. It's what's beautiful to us. It's what's true and pure and hopeful. We don't hold too too tightly to what's in that plot. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. We watch the water, the rain come down. We pull some weeds when we can. Uh, We remember that while today is cloudy, maybe tomorrow or next week it will be sunny again. Just remember, it's not your garden. You're not the king. You won't always understand what happens in the garden. Just like you don't know why the seeds grow. You don't know where the wind blows from. You don't know why the rain comes when it comes. God is the promise keeper. And you, you're the promise holder. God is the king. And you, you're the steward. And this is what your king says to you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, uh, through this text, have given us a, a glimpse of fulfillment. We know that you are the promise keeper. We're grateful that we are not the promise keeper. We are just the promise holder. And we thank you that you give us promises to hold. May we not let them go or forget that we have them. Lord, they are the key to open the door of doubt and despair. Lord, we pray that you would grow us together as a church as we seek to be those who hold on to your promises. And Lord, we pray that we would see the king We would never try to be the king ourselves, which is always our temptation. But we would recognize that you are the king, that Jesus the king is the one who defeats evil, who extends his kingdom over the nations, who draws the treasure of the nations to God, who rules in justice and equity. Father, as your stewards, may we be faithful to hold on to these promises and to remember the King and to love those things that He loves and pursue them. Lord, as You give us strength and grace to do so in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.